Amen. You may be seated. God is good. Tonight we are picking back up with our series on covenant. We will be examining a a story in Scripture that a lot of us have heard, but a lot of us seem to uh, maybe somewhat like the same thing with with Zacchaeus. We read it kind of like a story, a flannel graph. Um, but it's, it's more than just a, a kid's story from a Sunday school lesson. I would invite you to turn to Genesis. In God's Word, to Genesis, we'll, we'll be in chapter 8, the story of, story of Noah and the flood actually begins in chapter 6, beginning with um, verse 5 in chapter 6. I'm going to uh, <clears throat> pray and ask God that He would bless our time together, and then we'll get up to the main portion of Scripture, which is Genesis chapter 8. But we'll look at the... Uh, some, some of the details with the flood as well. So let's, let's go to the Lord and ask Him to bless our time in His Word tonight. Father, we thank You for Your Word. God, as we stand before You tonight, as we just exalt in who You are, our shield, our portion, our deliverer, how great it is to come before You now to open Your Word. God, would You speak tonight? Would You teach us Your truths Lord, we love you. We pray this in your good name. Amen. The Noahic covenant is obviously the covenant that God has established with his people through Noah. The flood uh, begins, and the story of the flood begins in <clears throat> chapter 6 of verse 5. And, and if you start reading through that, you, you can see certain things that um, it happens when we're looking back at it's stories in the Scripture. We, we read them again and again and again, and we, we miss certain things. And so um, I'm just going to kind of walk through the story a little bit, and then we'll get to the, the main section in chapter 8, and we'll deal with what, uh, some of the truths that I believe we can pull out in, uh, in the covenant with Noah, the Noahic covenant. Um, in chapter 6, God saw that the, the thoughts and the intentions of man's heart was evil, only evil always, continually and uh, it disturbed God. And God resolved with himself, uh, again, a, uh, a relationship term that he discussed among himself. He, 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 he thought through this with himself to, as the scripture says, blot out man. So God saw the evil heart of man. And you read through six, uh, six and seven, chapter, uh, verse 6 and 7, chapter 6, it says God resolved in himself to blot out man. In verse 8, we find that Noah actually finds favor with God. Now, this found favor term, it's more of not that Noah was the kind of guy that, oh, he did everything right all the time. He was this really righteous man that always did everything right. Because we, we, we find that later, after the flood, Noah is in a drunken stupor, completely naked, passed out. Uh, we know that the, the sinfulness of Adam passed on through even to Noah. And we know that this, this righteousness, this found favor that Noah has is actually a gifted righteousness. The reason that God finds favor with Noah is because God decided to do that. Maybe Noah was more noble than others, more righteous than others, 
His Bible calls him a righteous man. Anytime you see that, 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 that God finds favor with someone, there's this gifted righteousness because everybody is sinful. Everybody inherited the sinful nature from Adam. Everybody walked out of that sinful sludge and you just have it all. You just, no one is righteous. So it's not like Noah was this really great, super duper guy that never messed up. He had a gifted righteousness that was from God. He did inherit the sin nature from Adam. In 6 9, uh, we find that the, the earth was corrupt and full of violence. In 6 13, we find that, um, that God says, I've determined to make an end to all of flesh. I will destroy them with the earth. So the flood was not only to judge mankind, the flood was also to judge the entire planet. God said, I'm going to blot them out. Everything, the entire earth. In chapter 6 of Genesis, verses 14 through 16, we, we see that God establishes the, the dimensions of the ark. He says, make it this long, this wide, uh, make it this tall, this fat. He, he shows Noah what to do with that. And he, and he uses a, an interesting statement. God says, make an ark for yourself. Make an ark for yourself. Why for yourself? Because Noah found favor with God. In verses 14 through 16 of Genesis 6, God establishes the ark's dimensions. In 18, he says, I will establish my covenant. He uses the word covenant. And we'll find through this story that God uses the term covenant quite a bit. He says, I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark. You, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. In 19 through 21 of Genesis chapter 6, God tells Noah what else needs to belong in the ark. Is bring some animals in, two by two. But he also says something interesting that I think a lot of us miss is the, the seven of every clean kind of animal. So God says bring two by two of this kind and seven of every clean animal. Moving on, we see that Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Noah obeyed God. In Genesis chapter 7, verses 1 through 4, God tells Noah, go into the ark. It took a while for Noah to build this big, massive ship. And obviously, we've heard stories and you've heard maybe sermons of people walking around looking at Noah. They're, what are you doing, Noah? Why are you doing this? Well, Noah did what God commanded. God commanded that he build a cruise ship, a zoo, so to speak. And then we find that Noah is told to go into the ark. And in seven days, it's going to rain. Noah gets the animals in there, goes in the ark. God says, in seven days, it's going to rain. Can you imagine what that week was like? You think the conversations with Noah's family were like, really? Well, you think this is really going to happen? What's going on here? We find Genesis chapter 7 verse 5 that, God, that Noah actually did what the Lord commanded. And in, in, in the following verses of, of verse 6 of chapter 7 on through verse 24, we find this flood of judgment. A flood of judgment. Now, it's, we have reason to believe that it, it is never... The earth has never seen rain before. This is a, this is a new concept of just rain. And um, there's, um, there's theories among more conservative scholarship that at, at the time before the flood, that there was a canopy of water that encircled the globe, that encircled the planet, that kind of held uh, the planet in like a semi-tropical state uh, all, all around the earth. And it was just this nice little greenhouse that the whole planet was like Tampa or Miami or something. And, and, um, and, it, and we find that through scripture that, um, that they lived really long. And it was, it was, we have reason to believe because of the, 
the oxygen level was different. And so that's why you have these people that living a long time. And if you read on, and we'll talk about this in a minute, there were no seasons yet. God had not yet established a, a winter, summer, autumn, fall, and spring. And so this canopy of water lets loose and it falls and it rains and it floods. But not only does the water fall, but essentially the earth just explodes from the underneath. These, it gushes from the underneath. So, so they're in this boat and they're thinking, this, is this really going to happen? And all of a sudden they hear it coming down and the place starts trembling and shaking because the water's coming up and the water's coming down. And they're, do you have an animal in your house when it rains? It, your animal, your cat or your dog kind of goes into weird freak out mode. I have a dog. And when it's storming, uh, Bruno just loses his cool. He's pacing around. He doesn't know what's going on. It's thundering and lightning. He, he uses the bathroom in the house. And could you imagine Noah is in this big zoo and the thunder and the lightning and the earthquake and this boat is just shaking because the, 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 the earth gave forth the deep and it just, man, this is, this is a flood. Unlike anything we've ever experienced here. You know, we, we like to compare a flood. I mean, it's like in the days of Noah I mean, or whatever. And people don't even say that because we've never experienced a flood like they're experiencing here. The, um, it was just water coming from all directions everywhere. And the, the earth, the ark was just being Rocked. Genesis chapter 7, verse 23 says he blotted out everything. In 7:24, after about 150 days, the Bible says the waters prevailed. How long did it rain? 40 days and 40 nights. But it took a long time for the water to go down. It took a long time. And then we find that uh, after seven days, they waited again and uh, sent out the bird. And, and so they're in this big zoo boat for a long time. Noah and his family. And it's got to be probably the craziest year of Noah's life. Craziest time of being a a big zoo cruise ship. Genesis chapter 8. We find that the Bible says that God remembers Noah. We might say, well, duh, he's the only one that's left. But that terminology is unique and it's important because God uses that terminology. And we'll, use that, we'll, we'll see some more of that with Abraham and the Abrahamic covenant. God remembers Abraham. God remembers Noah. Noah opens a window and he sends out the raven and he sends out the dove. And they wait patiently and they wait patiently. In eight, Genesis 8, 11, we find that the dove returned with a freshly plucked olive leaf. What a relief. No pun intended. What a relief. They're in this boat. And it's time that the bird comes back with a leaf. You got to, I mean, what's the conversation in the boat by then? Are they, you you think they're sick of being in that boat? But now there's this, there's this hope that they haven't had. And can you imagine 50 something days into the flood? Floating around. Cleaning out the animal cages. Sixty-something days go by. Seventy, eighty, ninety. These days and days and days goes by. You ever been stuck somewhere with somebody for a long time? You start 
man, just you're going to this end of the house, they're going to this end of the house, and just go crazy. And we were only kind of stuck in, my family was stuck in, in our house just for a day or so because of Isaac. You just get crazy. Can you imagine when that leaf showed up? A little bird shows back up and drops down. And so, hey, look at this. Man, they probably had a party. They were overwhelmed, I would think, with hope and peace that there's actually life now. And the only reason this happens is because God remembered Noah. And God is a God of covenant. He says, I'm not going to leave you stuck in the flood. I'm going to offer you a sign. I'm going to offer you a, 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 an offering of peace, of life. In 8, verses 13 through 19, they left the ark. Stepped out of the ark. And God says, be fruitful and multiply. Now we see in Genesis chapter 8, verses 20. This is where we'll pick up. This is what we'll read through. It says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered a burnt offering on the altar. Noah was ready to do that. When do you think he's ready to kill some of those animals? Noah built that ark. It took him a long time to build that ark. He was stuck in that ark for a long time. He gets out of that ark and he goes to building again. He knows what's going on here. The God of the flood, the God of heavens, the God of the universe has opened up the door. He's given them life. He's given them a second chance. He's given them a new start. And Noah turns it into worship and he builds an altar. And in the Bible, I love this, in 21 it says, When the Bible smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. And he didn't say, now man's got it together. God didn't say, boy, they learned their lesson. God didn't say, hey, you guys, let's not, do, let's not go through that again. He says, I'll never curse the ground because... The intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Do you think there was any sin going on in the ark? Oh, sure. Why? Because man is sinful only, continually. There was sinning happening in the ark. There was sinning happening when man exited the ark. It says, neither again, neither will I strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. We have reason to believe that right there is when God says, let there be seasons. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 9. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. This is when God tells Noah that you can go ahead and eat meat now. This is when God says go ahead and start a sporting goods store so you can buy all the, the gear and all the bows and arrows and guns because you're about to be able to have this war, this, this, this animosity between you and, the, and the, the trophy bucks and you can eat them. As I have given you the green plants, I now give you everything, God says. But you, you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. 
Listen to this, verse 5, chapter 9. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it. And from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. God is just saying, I'm going to hold you accountable. I'm going to hold you accountable for what you do to your fellow man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. God is just establishing what's the Italian principle. An eye for an eye. And we find that in the Old Testament, God establishes the Italian principle. An eye for an eye. He uses it here. You're going to be held accountable. If you spill the blood of a man, your blood shall be spilled. A beast, your blood shall be spilled. We find this principle that God is unfolding here. But, you know, the thing is, is, uh, and if we could just leap forward under the new covenant, Jesus just obliterates the eye for an eye. He just takes, he changes that. Verse 7 of chapter 9 of Genesis. And you be fruitful and multiply. Team on the earth and multiply in it. You find that God says to Noah and his, his family several times, be fruitful and multiply. It's part of the covenant. He's saying, look, you, there's, a, there's a small group of you now. You got to get busy, okay? You got to have some babies. Be fruitful and multiply. It's time to start repopulating the earth. Let's get going. Verse 8, then God said to Noah and his sons with him, behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you. For all future generations. Who's that? That's me and you. So this covenant is made by God to Noah and all Noah's pets and Noah's descendants. Me and you. I have set my bow. I've set the rainbow in the cloud. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant. That is between me and you and every living creature of all the flesh. Every time there's a rainbow anywhere on the planet, not only is God showing the people that kind of know what's going on in this passage with Scripture, God is doing the rainbow and He says, I'm reminding myself. I'm reminding myself of the covenant. Now, God doesn't slip up a little bit like we do and forget things. He doesn't have a short-term memory problem. He doesn't have a long-term memory problem. But God is a faithful God. And he's showing us that he will be faithful. And every, listen, every time you see a rainbow, if it's even two rainbows, just be reminded that God is faithful. And every time you see that, that rainbow, not only are you looking at it, but the Lord is reminding himself of the covenant that he's established with Noah and Noah's descendants, me and you. That rainbow is not just for you. That rainbow is for God, too. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. The word covenant in this passage, God uses multiple times, over seven times. And the way that it's written, 
the way that we find it in the original language, it's, it's very unique. It's, it's very emphatic that you can see these passages and say, this covenant thing, God's pretty serious about establishing this. And the first times that he uses the, the word covenant in these passages, he's saying that I will do it immediately. The term that, that, I'm gonna, that, that he, he uses to, to say this covenant will be established, he says, I will establish this covenant immediately. And then he says, I do it. And then he says, I have done it. He says, I, w- I will establish this covenant immediately. And then he says, I do it. And then he says, I have done it. This is a pretty serious covenant. God is serious about this covenant for sure. We find this glorious picture of God's faithfulness, of God's love, of His patience. Because we find soon after this that the sin of man is still clear, still apparent, still nasty, still a reality. And it's only by God's grace that even Noah was allowed into the ark. I think when we look at the the Noahic covenant. That we need to establish some foundations with the Noahic covenant. First of all, that you got to understand how God deals with sin. God is ferociously hate-filled towards sin. Only, only judgment exists towards sin. He has this seething hate for sin. And we find this uh, uh, illustrated in the, in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 should come up on the screen. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 through 31. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set the law of Moses dies uh, without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishments do you think will be deserved of the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. People, verse 31, you might have heard this before. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God has this rage against sin, and he uses this passage in Hebrews, pulls in the Trinity with it. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have a hate for sin. So you have to understand, there's, a, there's some foundational things we've got to see with this Noahic covenant. And that for, first and foremost, that God has this ferocious hatred of sin. Second thing that we need to see, we need to understand about sin especially, is that man is only capable of continual sin always. Now, this seems um, to, to, to butt up against the truth of who we are in the new covenant, which it does. Because who we are in Christ in the new covenant, God doesn't see us as only capable of continual sin only, always, but... Left apart from grace, that's who we are. Now, Paul mentions this, mentions the status, the the condition of man, so to speak, in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 18, it says this. What then? Are we Jews any better off? Nope, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are what? Under sin. For it is written, none is righteous, not even Noah, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. 
You think you actually woke up one day and said, you know what, I think I'll find God today. You didn't do that. The reason you're here today, the reason you're breathing in grace daily is because God gifted you with righteousness. The righteousness that only comes through faith in Jesus. Verse 12 in Romans 3 says, All have sinned, uh, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Encouraging. Gets worse. Listen. It says, Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. It's a snake. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Sometime, next time someone says, hey, tell me about your life before you met Jesus. Just, just say, this is what I was like and read that to them. They might say, ooh, you're pretty bad. See, that's the condition of man. Not only does God have, does God have a ferocious hatred of sin, man is capable of only continual sin always apart from the grace of God. But judgment is based on the sin at an individual level. That's why we can't blame Adam. That's why if you're uh, unrepentant, unregenerate, and you've never received by, by faith, through grace, salvation that we have in Christ, you can't stand before God in judgment and say, hey, it's Adam's fault. No, you, you own your own sin. We find in Ezekiel, and this is a... a a great passage out of a kind of a strange book. It's hard to understand, but we find Ezekiel, he, he really kind of shows us that, that sin is based on an individual level. In Ezekiel chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, son of man, when a land sins against me by acting faithlessly, and I stretch out my hand against it and break its supply of bread and send famine upon it and cut, cut off from it man and beast, even if these three men... Even if Noah, even if Daniel, even if Job were in it, they would not deliver but their own lives by their righteousness, declares the Lord God. Your sin, our sin, my sin, and the judgment that is required from it is based on an individual level. We stand before God in judgment, unrepentant, un, uh, unregenerate, a non-believer. You stand before God. Isn't it? You know Nobody else's sin. And you're going to be able to say, well, so-and-so did this, so-and-so did that. And you might even, that's a good idea maybe even to say, well, Adam is the reason that I'm a sinner. But you're going to be held accountable. I'm going to be held accountable. We're going to be held accountable for our sin. Now, what we find that we need to, uh, I think, pull into this Noahic covenant is what's called the riddle of the Old Testament. In Exodus Chapter 34, verses 6 through 7, we find this, this passage that is, is, is deemed in high regard by the Jewish community, um, but it's kind of a predicament, and, and we'll read it and look at it. It says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God of mercy and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But it doesn't stop there. This is where the problem comes in. This is, hard, this is where it's hard to deal with. It says, but who will by no means clear the guilty, 
visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. That's the riddle of the Old Testament. There's the Noahic covenant for you, okay? God says, you know, man is only capable of sin always. I'm going to wipe him out. But we find that right after the flood, right after Noah comes out, he falls back into sin again. So there's still a sin problem. And in the Old Covenant, under, under the umbrella of the Old Covenant, we find this passage, this riddle. Will by no means clear the guilty. And see, this, this is when we need a hero to come in and save the day. This is when we need Jesus who comes in as a true and better Noah. See, the thing is, is, Noah had this righteousness that was gifted to him by God. But Jesus is perfectly righteous. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, Paul says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, the righteousness of Noah is what spared Noah's family. But that righteousness wasn't a complete righteousness. It was gifted by God. But now we see that the righteousness of Christ, the perfect righteousness, is what we need to become the righteousness of God. What an awesome promise. That if you're in Christ, and I said this when we first started this covenant series, If you're a believer, then you're under the new covenant in grace, under the lordship of Jesus. You are seen by God as righteous. It doesn't mean you are always righteous all the time. You're standing with a holy God who has a ferocious hatred of sin. You're standing with him is innocent. That's because of Jesus and his perfect righteousness. The righteousness of Noah was able to spare his family and some animals. But the perfect righteousness of Jesus is able to do much more than just spare a handful of people. Not only do we see that Jesus' perfect righteousness is able to accomplish so much more, but we find that Jesus brings his family into the safety. He, He brings us in. Noah and, and Noah's righteousness was enough for, I don't, I don't know how bad his sons were or, his, or how faithless his, their wives were. But the righteousness of Noah was enough for them to get in. It was enough for him to save his family. The righteousness of Jesus is enough to take the family of God and to spare us from the flood of judgment, all of it. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 50, we find who the family of God is. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, Jesus said, is my brother and sister and mother. The children of God, the family of God are those who do the will of God and they're safe. They don't have it all together. I mean, we can look across the aisle and we can probably say with one another, we're not all together all together. But in Christ, we're safe safe from the flood of God's judgment. Jesus, who is Noah's descendant through Shem, will truly save from judgment. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. 
and to wait for His Son from heaven, who He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So He brings His family together into the safety from the wrath of God. It says, deliver us from the wrath to come. The wrath, folks, is not for the people in the ark. That means that all the people in the ark are, are, are righteous and the good people. In Christ, we're safe from the wrath. The flood is outside. We might hear it. We might see it. See the rain falling down. But we're safe. We're safe from the flood. Not only is, not only in Noah's time was there a horrific flood, but there's a worse flood coming. There's a more horrific flood that is coming. In Second Thessalonians, Paul writes in chapter one. And to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who have not obeyed the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who believe because our testimony to you was believed. There's a more horrific coming, flood coming. The flood is coming. But at this, po- at this point, in this moment, the, the ark is open. The safety from that flood is open. And, and just in Noah's time, as people walked by and, what are you doing, man? Building a boat? There's no flood coming. In our culture today, there's people all around us saying, there's no flood coming. But we who are the people of God, the family of God, have been brought into the safety of the ark of God, the true ark of God, through the true righteousness of Christ. And we will escape the flood. But others today around us, maybe even church tonight, you're walking by the safety and it's open. It's wide open. The safety away from the flood of God's judgment is open. There's a more glorious ark that's open today. In Romans chapter 8 verse 1, Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. My Jesus, Jesus Christ, is a better ark. We can come into the glories of Christ and we can find ourselves safe from the flood of God's judgment. And it is sealed with the precious blood of God. Jesus Himself, His blood seals the ark and we are safe in Christ. It's important to know that that verse says, in Christ. No condemnation. Condemnation, judgment are for those who are outside. The flood is for those who are outside the true ark. Now maybe before God closes the door forever, there's somebody in here that needs to come in. Come into the safety away from the flood of judgment. But maybe there's somebody in here that needs a different kind of flood. Maybe you're dry and weary land, cracked, parched, running out of water. You need a God who says, I will make deserts into pool of water. You need a, a flood of living water to pour on you. You need a flood. The woman at the well in John chapter 4 was from Samaria. She came and she drew water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. 
for his disciples had gone away into the city. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it you, a Jew, ask for a drink for me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would ask him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, I have nothing, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get the living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered her, whoever drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Just welling up. There's a flood in Noah's time. It just came up, bursted forth. There's a flood of God's judgment. But t- today we can experience a different flood. The way is open to escape the judgment of God in Christ. And the flood of God's mercy is pouring and pouring and pouring upon us daily, continually. So maybe you're here today and you need that flood. You ever ever get so bold enough as to go outside when it's raining? Close your eyes and let the water hit on your face. See, kids do that. That's, that's immature. A little, little kid would do that. But I'm thinking that maybe somebody in here today, maybe even tonight, realizes that the flood of God's mercy is what you need right now. And how long have you been in the desert? Maybe you're a believer and you've been in the desert way too long. What you need to do is you need to step into the rain. Just close your eyes and let the flood of God's mercy pour on you. Or maybe you're in here today and you're not a believer. You've never embraced Jesus as your Savior. Let me just encourage you tonight. The ark is open. The way of escape from the flood of God's judgment is open. It's open to you. Maybe you've been in church for a long time. Listen to me. You've walked by that door way, way too long. You've cared too long about what others might think of you if you... Just throw your life upon who God is. The door's open. One day it will be shut. But today it's open. Come into the flood of who Jesus is to escape the flood of God's judgment. You know, every time, every time it rains, uh, every time you see a rainbow, if you can find yourself thinking about the flood in Noah's time, I think it'd be good. Especially every time you see a rainbow. Every time you see that rainbow, just remind yourself that God made a covenant with you and with me to not curse the ground with the flood, not to destroy it that way. But that covenant also is a sign, a symbol of God's faithfulness. Every time you look at a rainbow, don't think about a pot of gold at the end of it. Think about the God who rains down mercy and grace and who is faithful to keep all of his promises. All of them. Man, apart from grace, is only capable of continual sin always. God, in his grace, is only capable of goodness all the time, always for his people. So would you come tonight, whether you're a child of God that has been in the ark 
away from the flood of judgment of God and the safety of who Jesus is, would you just come and, and rejoice and thank God that he saved you? And maybe you're not a believer. Would you come and say, you know what, I've, I, I've been walking by the door and it's been open for too long and I want to come in. I want to embrace my family. I want to escape the flood of judgment that's coming because I'm dry, I'm parched, and I want to come into the flood of who Jesus is and experience grace and peace and forgiveness. Maybe that's you tonight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for your grace and your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for the promise, Lord, that you will never destroy the earth with a flood again. We thank you for the promise of the covenant of Noah. God, that you established with him generations ago. When that flood came, Lord, when those inside of the ark that were safe from the judgment of God, Lord, maybe they were terrified in that moment to know that there were thousands around them that were drowning in the flood of judgment. Maybe there were people banging on the side of the ark, screaming, let me in. God, I just pray that tonight, Lord, we would be reminded of your faithfulness. That you have grace continually, only always for us. Those who are safe and secure inside a true and better ark. Lord, we pray for the ones who are feeling like their life is just dry, desert land. Lord, would you pour on them a flood of your love, of your mercy, of your grace. God, can we spend time with you now, Lord? Those who are in the safety Lord, can we just rejoice in that? And God, may, the, may that those who are walking by the open door just pause and just come in. We thank you for the, the truth, Lord, that the door is not shut yet. Lord, would you find us faithful in declaring the gospel to the nations before it's shut? God, would you teach us, shape us. Lord, we love you. We pray this in your good name.